this edition of the Thoracic Surgery Resident Association's podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for teaching purposes only and should not be applied directly to patient care. Hi, my name is Alex Nissen. I'm a second year traditional cardiothoracic fellow at Emory University, and I'm joined today by Dr. Joshua Chan. Dr. Chan is an assistant professor within the division and surgical director of the ECMO program at Emory. Prior to joining Emory, he completed his general surgery training at Cedar sinai Medical Center, which included a two-year postdoctoral research fellowship at the NIH, followed by his traditional CT surgery training residency at Stanford, and his super fellowship in thoracic transplantation and mechanical circulatory support at Cedar sinai Medical Center. Dr. Chan, thanks very much for joining us today. Thank you, Alex. It's really my pleasure. So typically, these podcasts are focused on clinical scenarios, but today's discussion will be focused on the topic of pursuing advanced training after primary CT surgery residency, including the process of applying for super fellowships. Super fellowship training is increasingly frequent, pursued by up to 40% of recent CT graduates in one publication. And excluding congenital surgery, which is its own ACGME-accredited pathway, the next most common areas of advanced training include transplant MCS, aortic surgery, structural heart, and minimally invasive over robotic thoracic training. So just to get started, I think, you know, eagerness to enter practice is obviously understandable, but what are some of the benefits that are most often considered when pursuing super fellowship, whether that be things like pursuit of unique skills, additional independence, perhaps marketability when seeking one's first job? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, thanks again to the TSRA and Alex for setting this up. You know, I think it's increasingly clear that cardiothoracic surgery is um, becoming more complex and nuanced. And those challenges certainly affect um, ensuring adequate training of residents and fellows. Uh, you know, we want to make sure that um, everyone has great foundation and so-called bread and butter cases. Um, but there are certainly challenges in, in making sure that everyone's fully adept in modern techniques. Um, you know, this involves optimizing the experience within a six-year integrated program or within the two or three years that are available in a traditional fellowship experience uh, following general surgery. Um, but this certainly brings up the consideration of pursuing advanced training after primary CT surgery residency, which, of course, is uh, the topic of today's discussion. And you're right, Alex, um, about that statistic, um, you know, that you, I think, cited earlier. You know, there's a 2021 article in Annals. Uh, where they surveyed graduates from CT surgery programs over the last decade. And they demonstrated that uh, super fellowships are indeed increasingly common, um, with 40% of, uh, of trainees uh, obtaining additional uh, training after their residency. And so I think a common question is, is why do advanced training fellowships exist in the first place? Um, you know, one of the easiest reasons is that you just have to, and that's in regard to going into congenital cardiac. Um, as many of, of the listeners are aware, um, an additional two years of congenital training is an ACGME accreditation requirement. Um, there are separate boards involved in that. So if you want to become a congenital cardiac surgeon, um, there's really no way around this. Um, another example that fits in the uh, you have to department um, is some practices, some groups strongly prefer that you do their own super fellowship before hiring you, um, that your faculty position is, is really contingent on completing their program. 
so they can train you to do the cases their way and uh, ensure that you can um, integrate within their group. Uh, separate from those situations, uh, for the other non-ACGME accredited programs, uh, such as um, you know transplant, aortic, structural, uh, minimally invasive cardiac, minimally invasive thoracic, um, esophageal, um, you know, for someone who's been in training for a number of years, um, you know, we all have a certain amount of eagerness to go right into the workforce. And so for those graduates, you know, what are the advantages of undergoing advanced training? Um, you know, I, I think the, I think despite programs, uh, doing a really a remarkable job of training residents, um, ensuring a level of competency, you know, unfortunately variability is unavoidable, unavoidable at times. Um, you know, some programs are inherently going to have a large volume of aortic work. Uh, some programs are known to be a powerhouse in esophageal uh, pathology. Uh, on the other hand, you know, some institutions or programs may not have a large transplant program. And we've seen that operative experience can fluctuate significantly from program to program, especially um, in these highly specialized areas. The number of cases graduating chiefs uh, feel um, that they were able to complete independently as the primary surgeon uh, greatly varies on a number of different surveys. Um, and, and this was, of course, amplified during the height of COVID where uh, case experience uh, was curtailed. So I would say that for many graduates, a large reason for pursuing advanced training is if they had a particular area of interest, uh, but their primary CT training program did not necessarily have a large case volume available. Um, this might be a, a strong consideration. You know, it's really um, being able to develop a unique skill, if you may. Um, this could be broad in the sense of, you know, robotic lung resection experience, or it could be more distinct, such as endovascular or hybrid aortic techniques. Um, you know, some graduates may, may simply want exposure to additional caseload in general. Uh, they can be colloquially uh, described as advanced cardiac or third-year cardiac program or advanced thoracic superfellowship. Um, although, you know, most programs, even the more specialized ones, will consider you as a clinical instructor, um, and that's your title, um, and that allows you to have more autonomy in that position. So say even if you're a superfellow in transplant, you're actually credentialed in some institutions to operate independently, for some cases, um, take call, take residence through cases, and that could uh, be useful in enhancing your overall operative experience and help you transition to become um, an independent attending. That's great, thank you. And so other than you know developing unique skills, um, are there any other reasons that one may or that perhaps you or others consider when pursuing advanced training? Yeah. I think there are certainly some pragmatic reasons to undergo a super fellowship separate from those considerations I had mentioned, like, you know, making sure you have an adequate experience or feeling comfortable performing a certain operation or managing um, a specific pathology. Um, you know, I think yeah, in certain ex uh, circumstances, having that extra training in a particular area may make you more marketable to patients or referring physicians, pulmonologists, cardiologists, right? Um, as you promote yourself as the specialist or the, the expert in that area. Um, this, you know, additionally makes you more enticing candidate as you're looking for a job. Um, it, you know, essentially increases your um, negotiating power. 
um, you could see that as having an, a direct impact, maybe even your salary support, uh, perhaps up to a 10% increase, or it might provide you with other supplementary benefits or resources, um, such as research funding or uh, establish robotic or case time. Um, you know, there are, uh, there may be additional job opportunities that would have not otherwise been available. Um, and, you know, going through the process recently, particularly in academics, I remember there were some programs that stated very clearly that um, they would primarily consider applicants who had completed a specific fellowship tailored to that job opening. And, you know, if you have uh, specific requirements when looking for a job, say you only live, want to live in a particular geographic location, um, the number of job opportunities obviously diminishes um, and having that super fellowship would provide someone a significant advantage compared to other applicants uh, when competing for those same jobs in a limited locale. Um, you know, saturated markets, um, those in major metropolitan cities, which are often one and the same, are another example where you may need to further differentiate yourself and a super fellowship can help in that regard. Okay, excellent. And so, you know, what might you say, you know, if approached by a, a graduating or senior fellow who is asking, you know, if that extra one to two years of super fellowship was worth it? Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. You're 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 about to finish um, training and you see the light at the end of the tunnel and, and an additional one or two years is, is definitely um, may, may not be the first thought. Um, I would consider the time and training in general as an investment in your future. Uh, both a time investment as well as a financial investment and maybe potential lost income that you would earn during those one or two years of extra training. In, in respect to your entire training, whether it's um, an I-6 or traditional pathway, you, you've already spent anywhere between six or eight years or even more um, through a I-6 or traditional uh, fellowship pathway. And, and so those extra one or two years when viewing through that light and in terms of your entire career, may not be as consequential. Um, and I also think of it as as uh, an investment that pays dividends in allowing you to land the ideal job in the ideal ge geographic location, and, and that could be your forever job. So it's important to balance the short term and, and long term considerations. That being said, as you can imagine, there are many variables at play and each cardiothoracic surgical trainee has a unique situation that does require an individual and personalized plan. Another way to frame the question of super fellowship or not is to figure out what your dream job is and what um, is that position's initial requirements. Um, for example, a potential easy way to delineate the need is to determine if one is ultimately pursuing an academic position versus a community-based practice. Um, I, I admit this is somewhat a generalization, but academic positions can often be highly specialized. And even though your practice may deal with adult cardiac like mine is, um, or may deal with general thoracic, you may be say tapped as the person to do transplant or be the AFib expert or the go-to person for mini mitrals or be that person that the group preferentially sends uh, robotic esophageal cases or pushes for nav bronx. And, th and that extra super fellowship may provide that additional training to allow for this specialization. On the flip side, a, a community-based practice may not require this, particularly one that's primarily geared toward bread and butter cases. Um, 
again, this is a generalization for sure. And, and there are community-based practices who don't currently have anyone interested in an LVAD um, practice, uh, but want someone to start an LVAD program and therefore having a heart failure background will be really, really important. But I think it's, in, it's um, you know, considering what type of practice a trainee is interested in uh, early on will help determine their post-graduation needs for a super fellowship. Um, you know, we certainly have to take into account that each person may have a spouse, um, children, friends, or family members, and, and that their plans and expectations associated with those individuals may not uh, allow for additional training. On the contrary, if your family states that having a job in a very specific geographic location is of utmost importance, then potentially this extra training will help obtain that highly selective spot. That's perfect. Thank you. And um, so next, I mean, you know, perhaps if someone is, uh, you know, interested in considering super fellowship training, um, what advice might you give to a trainee in terms of their self-assessment for the, as an applicant, you know, before starting to, to really earnestly pursue this super fellowship or start the application process? Absolutely. Um, when considering the idea of a super fellowship, I think it's really important to be honest with yourself, you know, assess what your strengths are and what areas that you want to improve on. Um, and the same thing goes with your training program. What are the strengths of your training program? As well as what your overall career, uh, career interests may be. And that will really help you guide um, uh, your thought process and, and figuring out what additional training options are uh, going to be important and what are gonna be necessary. You know, say if, if you want to become an aortic surgeon and you're graduating from a program with a, a very heavy emphasis on aortic work, that you did more thoracos than most super fellowships record, then, you know, an aortic super fellowship probably doesn't make much sense. Um, you know, since this is a very personal decision, um, I would say your best resources are your mentors and faculty. They're really going to be the ones who know you the best, and um, they're going to know which programs are the best fit for you. Um, you know, they've been through the job market, they know your strengths and the strengths of the program, and they, they see this with a different perspective. Um, you know, this is, this is applicable both, uh, super fellowships, but also for when you're looking for jobs. Um, and now once you've made your decision on picking a super fellowship, then there's the consideration of where, um, you can look at it as, uh, you know, where is the best training program? Where's the best place to go to do a heart failure uh, transplant fellowship? And that's where you're going to apply to. Um, another situation, as mentioned earlier, maybe an instance where a program is interested in hiring you as faculty, but in order to do so, you'd have to do their super fellowship. And so that makes your decision to go uh, where to go pretty easy. And finally, there's always the consideration of staying at your home institution, regardless um, for this extra year. Um, it's great, you know the people, you know the system, you don't have to spend a beginning period of time getting acclimated um, to that new environment. Um, and, you know, it, it certainly is a plus. I do think that advantage is a bit over-exaggerated. You have to really ask yourself how staying at your program an extra year will substantially add to your operative experience that can't already occur. Um, and you do forego the improved networking experience of meeting new faculty members um, at this new institution that you'd be potentially going to. 
that's perfect. Those are all good considerations. Thank you. And so now, um, you know, you've mentioned it a number of times, you know, relying on one's mentors. Are there any other, you know, resources that you use when looking for these positions, whether that's, you know, online, CTSnet, or just, you know, even cold emailing, cold calling these places? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, as mentioned earlier, your mentors are going to be an incredible resource, as well as pre-graduates from your programming and colleagues that uh, you may know at other institutions. You know, for example, if, if there's a graduate from a program that um, ultimately wants to do, uh, say, transplant work, um, and they went through your program and they're highly successful um, starting up a new transplant program at, at, at a new institution, maybe that's indication that you don't need to do a transplant super fellowship. Um, you know, other colleagues uh, at other institutions may know firsthand uh, about the availability of other programs, um, you know, and particularly ones that may be worthwhile um, from their own experience. Um, there are also a few papers that are uh, great resources. Uh, there was one recently published in thoracic surgery clinics this year um, that has a list of different programs and institutions that offer um, advanced training. Uh, you mentioned CTSNet. That's that's um, a go-to website for a lot of um, uh, trainees that are looking for advanced fellowships or jobs. Um, there's also individual societal websites um, such as ISHLT that are fantastic resources um, for fellowship and the ultimate job search. Um, you know, there'll be a ton of postings on there. Uh, that being said, in, in the era of, of the internet, uh, most of this information is readily available on the individual uh, institutions' websites. Um, they often provide a lot of information in a very great deal of depth, and they can offer, they can tell you what they offer from an advanced training perspective and maybe what specific rotations they have in place. Um, you know, finally, I would encourage trainees to contact programs directly if they don't see a program offered or published. Um, oftentimes, uh, email is the best route for communication. Um, although super fellowship spots may not be posted yet, uh, programs will certainly uh, know ahead of time that there will be a need for one, and therefore you may be able to secure a spot before it actually becomes public, which is great. Um, conversely, there may be a position that is already filled uh, by an internal candidate, and if so, that gives you time to pivot to another program. Yeah, that's a great point. That's an excellent point. And so when you, um, maybe when you were looking uh, a few years ago or for somebody who's looking today, you know, beyond simply the super fellowship duration, how did you go about you know, really getting an assessment of, you know, what one's case volumes would be, what your operative level of independence or experience, um, and, you know, something that maybe people do or don't want to talk about your, your degree of salary support at each position as you were assessing various super fellowships? Yeah, you know, you're right. Ultimately, you're looking for the program that best fits your needs. Um, and be able to put you in the position to uh, succeed in your job search and the job of your, of your dreams. Um, the easiest um, way and the most um, predictable way is to ask around. You gotta do your research on the specifics of that particular program. Um, I find that the best source of information are the current and past fellows um, who will um, usually be pretty honest about what their case volume and experience is at that uh, specific site. 
And in particularly with past fellows, they will be able to demonstrate, you know, what their career path um, is, what jobs they were able to um, to get into based on their training. Um, so, you know, going on, on the institution's website, seeing those uh, the current and, and past fellow um, uh, trainees and contacting directly is, is very useful. Um, another consideration in assessing programs, um, I think is, is maybe their time requirement. Programs can vary in length, um, usually anywhere between six months or a year, um, although congenital programs are, are now a two-year format. Um, those lengths for the non-ACGME accredited programs are usually quite deliberate and intentional from the program's perspective. Um, however, there are definitely specific circumstances where you may be only be able to uh, complete a shorter fellowship. Now, one instance might be, um, say, you uh, have already secured a job and they need you to start within six months of graduation. Um, and so if you're open with that um, issue, um, you know, these arrangements can sometimes be made um, with that with that justification. But certainly that's a conversation you want to have early uh, in the application process. Um and just like the length, uh, whether it's six years, uh, sorry, six months or a year, um, you know, the experience, uh, responsibilities and rotations for those uh, super fellowships are usually previously optimized by the program. Um, they're quite deliberate. Um, there, there have been instances where you can tailor it more to your interests. For example, some have asked during their transplant fellowship to be primarily involved in say heart transplant or uh primarily involved in lung transplantation as it's uh, going to be reflective of their open ultimate job. But, um, you know, not all programs will entertain this. Uh, other factors such as maybe salary or call responsibilities, those are usually um, not negotiable. Excellent. And so, you know, with all this in mind and, you know, taking all this into consideration, what was your sort of application process like, or, or can you talk a little bit about the typical timing of, uh, of one's application process? Yeah, it, in my opinion, it's never too early to start thinking about super fellowships as you're going through training, uh, whether it's I-6 or traditional pathway. Um, those discussions about career goals and advanced training uh, should occur with your mentors uh, maybe the year before your chief graduating year. Um, although many will have it even earlier. The reason why I say that is, is most application cycles begin six to nine months before you graduate, and, and some even earlier um, than that, especially if they're considering internal candidates. So it's, it's, it's better not to wait till the last moment and to be um, proactive about this discussion. Um, you know, like any job search, you want to make sure you have your CV updated and start requesting letters of recommendation early for the application. And then after submitting your uh, your initial application, they might um, uh, contact your, your program director or your chair. Um, the programs will interview you either virtually or in person to make sure that you're a good fit. Um, I, I will say that the typical pathway of matriculating into a super fellowship uh, immediately following your primary CT surgery residency, it is definitely by far the most common situation, but it's not absolute. You know, I've had a few of my colleagues who um, initially went to the job market right after uh, training and after a, a few years uh, decided for one reason or another that advanced training was actually important to them. Um, you know, it was important uh, from the personal and career growth standpoint. 
and allowed them to have additional job opportunities that they were craving. Um, you know, this is not common, but I don't want our listeners to think that this is the only way to go about this. That's excellent. And so as we sort of, you know, maybe start wrapping up with just a few final questions, I was interested in maybe just asking if you could discuss your own experience or uh, perhaps reflect on any you know, areas of personal growth as you look back on how your advanced training helped you prepare for your first couple of years in practice here at Emory? Great question, Alex. Um, as most will tell you, the first couple of years, two to five years of, of being an attending are the most important and will really set you up for long-term success. You know, I was really, really happy with my CT surgery training. Um, it provided a fantastic experience in foundational cases and it gave me, um, you know, high volume and complex cardiac and aorta cases. Um, knowing that I was interested in transplantation and MCS, uh, the additional training was really complementary to my residency. Um, it gave me an opportunity to learn different advanced techniques and was really um, instrumental in setting me up to where I'm at now. Uh, I think it's important um, to know and to think uh, about these advanced fellowships as complementary to your residency. Um, I don't think that they're um, there to replace a poor foundation or suboptimal experience in CT surgery residency. Um, but looking back at my experience, you know, I've certainly matured, uh, whether it be uh, from a perioperative management uh, standpoint and, and very challenging advanced heart failure situations or refining decision-making processes um, like appropriate recipient candidacy or donor selection. Um, and additionally, uh, uh, being um, you know, a better educator within the residency. Uh, another unexpected benefit uh, for me is that um, you know, I've been able to be involved in, um, in committees and, and, um, and from a societal perspective on consensus papers associated with uh, advanced training because of my super fellowship and because of, of some of the additional networking connections I've made uh, during this extra year. And I would say that, you know, my first year has been really, really great. And it's been an immense pleasure to work with, uh, with you guys, with the residents and be a part of their education, um, you know, to be able to develop my practice uh, as it reflects my interest in adult cardiac um, with emphasis in heart and lung transplantation and and having a research lab that corresponds to my interests. I think a large part of, of this has been being comfortable as an attending, um, using all my additional experiences from my thoracic transplant fellowship for, trans, for challenging heart and lung failure cases, and, and really ultimately growing into this new role as an independent attending, um, which I'm sure is the goal of every single listener on this podcast. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you, sir. And, and I can assure you the residents like working with you too. So thank you very much. Before we uh, close this out, uh, just want to offer an opportunity for any final comments or thoughts. Yeah. Um, for trainees that are nearing graduation, this is certainly an immensely exciting time. Um, you know, the decision to pursue advanced training is, is going to be a highly personal one. Ultimately, you got to be honest with, um, you know, your strengths and weaknesses. You, you should have um, you know, good discussions with your mentors, and that's going to be highly critical. Um, remember, you have largely one opportunity to be well-trained, and that will significantly determine your career trajectory. 
So, you know, for those who have been very thoughtful about these considerations and are ready immediately following their primary CT surgery training for a particular job position, an extra one or two years may be unnecessary. Um, but for others, an advanced fellowship can be extremely impactful. Um, it can be it can allow you to, the opportunity to be super specialized and ultimately enrich your career. So thanks so much, Alex, and thanks to the TSRA. Yeah, thanks very much, sir. So just to close out, this has been Alex Nesson and Josh Chan from Emory University for the uh, TSRA podcast. Thanks again for joining us, sir.